everyone, welcome or welcome back to another episode of Nightmare Now. I'm your host, Eric Byrne, and I am super excited because this week, actually technically not this week, I got delayed in my recording, but we'll just call it this week, was the show's birthday. Episode 1 aired mid last March, and here we are still going strong. Been a rough couple of weeks, I got a new schedule, I'm a little bit slammed at work. Things are kind of supposed to slow down this time of year, but apparently that's not happening. So, not going to get into that, just because I don't want to get fired. And I got a lot to do at home, and my mic cable broke, but we are back in business. It feels good to be back recording, and I missed all you guys and gals. So let's just jump right into it. Yeah, happy to have you along. On this show, we talk about all kinds of spooky stuff, heinous history, obscure oddities, and curious cryptids. And it's the latter that we're going to dive into the deep end with today, and boy is it a doozy. The artist's rendition of this rascally beastie is probably the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen. Today we're talking about the Knuckle of E. Knuckle of E! Basically my entire understanding of Scottish accents comes from fantasy dwarves or like Pippin. Is it Mary or Pippin that has the Scottish accent? I think it's Pippin. It was definitely Pippin was the one with the Scottish accent. So the Nuckle V, this is a water demon of uh, Scottish folklore, specifically Orcadian folklore, which we'll kind of get into that geography in a second. But I, I know what you're thinking. You know, water demon, Scottish water demon. You're thinking a fish monster, a lake monster. I mean, one of the most iconic lake monsters of all time. The most iconic lake monster of all time, Nessie, lives and kicks around in Scotland. So you're probably picturing a plesiosaur. Maybe you're more into Arthurian legend and you kind of are picturing like a satyr looking dude or a sexy lady that drags you into the lake and drowns you or distributes swords as a basis of government. But if you're thinking about river monsters anywhere else, you're going to run into those kind of things. Or you're going to have a mysterious dolphin man try to seduce you. Take a listen to our least popular episode of all time (laughs) about were-dolphins, if you want to know more about that. I wonder what Jeremy Weed has to say about all this river monster stuff. Like, while he's hunting for the world's largest goonch catfish. I wonder if he ever has, like, a weird merman dolphin man show up and... (laughs) try and seduce him and they're like we can't show that on animal planet what are they trying to hide anyway this isn't the rivers of brazil and this isn't like a fairy fountain that's going to give you a zelda power up this is a literal nightmare like mare like a horse of the night like scary horse monster it hails from the orkney island region of scotland well the legend does at least is a set of 70 or so islands on the northern part of Scotland up at the very tip of the British Isles and that's if you're not counting that weird hidden island that the Nazis were looking for off the coast of England. I actually tried looking that up again. I've heard a lot about it. It's kind of like a speculated location of Atlantis and I cannot for the life of me remember what it was called, this friggin' island, and I don't know what to Google because every time you Google like Nazi island in England you come up with you know, a weird concentration camp they set up in England, which isn't quite as fun to cover as uh, some of the more out there stuff the Nazis were up to. But I'm pretty sure this island that I'm thinking of is basically where you catch Why Not in, in Pokemon. It just kind of appears 
once a month or whatever and you have to go over there and get the special what was it lychee berries i don't know i've had like a weird amount of pokemon notes in the (laughs) in this episode so we'll see how that goes so the orkney islands have a pretty interesting history all on their own you've got vikings showing up taking over the place you've got people that were living there before the vikings you've got megaliths crazy folklore um and all the megalith stuff i think i've touched on it in previous episodes where you have stuff like the pyramids and stonehenge and all these other like weird sites that lie on these perfect geographical lines and lie in perfect triangles and all the angles make perfect sense but wait like too much perfect sense you know what i mean for ancient societies to kind of put together in a way that Stonehenge is equidistant from the pyramids as it is from the North Pole. That is 100% not true, but that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about where like all these distances are astronomically precise down to like the meter, but across cultures that supposedly never interacted and stuff. It's super interesting and eventually we'll, we'll get into some of that weird ancient geometry that all that stuff that usually gets tied into ancient aliens kind of (laughs) kind of applies to this stuff so you've got some of that going on you've got vikings showing up and you've got changing rulers and all sorts of other weird history that we really don't quite have time for today and i and i don't have a whole lot of in my notes anyway but suffice to say this is you know very northern kind of part of england very northern part of the uk a bunch of small islands, people talk funny, it's a whole thing. One thing that is apparent in that folklore is kind of the Scandinavian influences, and obviously this comes from the Vikings. My people. My mom's whole side of the family lives in Sweden, we go there every year, it's a, it's a blast, we love you Swedes. You have that Scandinavian influence, you have that old British Isles tradition, old Scottish tradition, And I've done this in so many episodes where I kind of use England and the UK and the United Kingdom and Britain kind of all interchangeably. And that's, that's kind of ignorant, but I'm going to keep doing it because your queen was a reptile, but I love you guys over there across the pond on your rainy little island. In addition to all that stuff, you've got a like Celtic mythology going on. Most of which I know from Yu-Gi-Oh, I think. I guess that's the same kind of influence as the Scandinavian one from the Viking occupation pre-1400s. And Viking mythology has all kinds of fucking cool stuff going on in it. So this is me trying to kind of put that all together to kind of figure out where exactly this legend really comes from. The the knuckle of E. So it kind of comes in three parts, like Mario bosses or other notable triplicate creatures like the Enfield Horror, known for its three legs. So part one was kind of the unknown. So back in the day, our understanding of science wasn't quite the same as it was now, just as our current scientific paradigm will look completely insane 50 to 100 years from now. People needed explanations for things. Was there a freak storm? That's the work of a water demon. Was your child stillborn? That's because a fairy got a big old straw sucked the real child out of your room and left you with a stone baby or something fairies are fucked up um was your child born looking like an ancient celtic mailman and not your husband probably also fairy replacement back in the day it was either that or you know some kind of honor killing or beheading or something like that so 
I'll take the fairies in that case. Some things never change, I guess. Don't want your kid looking like the mailman. Man, that is a hack joke, huh? But, like, why does the moon get bites taken out of it each night and then become larger? People have to explain this kind of stuff, if for nothing else than to get their toddler to shut up about the moon. So the part, the second part of this is the established folklore, even if it's not your own. If you get conquered by people, they're gonna instill their values in you some way, whether you like it or not, over a period of time. So that's how you get these Scandinavian influences, etc., etc. But these explanations from the stuff I was talking about a second ago, where it's like, why does the moon get smaller each night? Like, every culture has an answer for that. And if you get conquered by a culture that has one specific answer for that eventually that's going to factor into your own mythology even if you free yourself from the yoke of your oppressors so like for, for the moon example you have the shadow of the earth the hungry night spider or snake or something in between and in the age of exploration ideas really spread faster than people and Bits and pieces were kind of exchanged like a trading card game. So, like, I'll trade you my nude titty drowning spirit for two copies of your fleshless crop demon. That's actually a cool idea. I think that's what MetaZoo is, though. I think that's like a cryptid trading card game. I don't know. Luckily, I thought of something original to do, like a <laughs> snarky, semi-humorous paranormal podcast. Nobody has done that before. So anyway, ideas are transferred, combined, and recombinated into something completely new. And that's likely what happened in ancient Orcadia. It sounds like a... Orcadia sounds like a vacation destination when you get, like, paid time off from Saruman. And and thirdly, you have natural phenomena. And this kind of ties into the other two, but it has to be an even three, so sue me. So the Orcadian region isn't just goblins <laughs> sipping... I don't know, maggot margaritas? The region is buffeted by storms, rogue waves, and haggis, of course. So there has to be a sentient evil behind all of it. So mix all three of these together, and you get a demon or a creature in charge of all these natural phenomena and unexplained occurrences. Yeah, you have sea demons from several cultures, and how they got to the final product, I haven't a foggiest. Um, they do shit differently in Scotland, I guess. Although the Knuckle of V certainly isn't the most famous sea monster in Scotland, like I said earlier, that's obviously Nessie. Funny story about Nessie. <laughs> I was driving in the car down to a St. Patrick's Day party with my family, and I was I was taking Sarah and her and uh, her mother, and we were talking about lake monsters. I don't know how we got on the topic of lake monsters or something, but she's she was saying, yeah, what's that? What's that thing called in England, in Scotland? Is it the Knockless Monster? So it was it's kind of like, hey, can you stop it? Can you shut up, Knockless? I don't know. It was just dumb, but we'll we'll eventually get to Nessie. The Nessie, is it a hoax? Is it a, you know, sodomy demon spawned by Aleister Crowley himself? Is it a relic <laughs> plesiosaur population? Or is it, you know, a really big sea otter or something like that? I think that would be a fun one. I, I kind of forget when I'm, when I'm doing these episodes that not everyone has done, like, thousands of hours of research and like gone down all these like weird youtube holes and paranormal documentaries like i have so 
I bring up stuff like weird bits of trivial fairy folklore and kind of talk about it like that's common knowledge, which I think to some of you guys it is because I'm a kind of a niche show or niche niche kind of a niche. I'm going with niche kind of a niche show paranormal sphere we're covering some relatively obscure topics so i think the people that find this this show organically are kind of going to be familiar with a lot of this stuff but then i realized that like a lot of people that i i casually mention or i steal their phone and subscribe to the show when they're not looking i don't know maybe you haven't done a deep dive on the echolocation and salinity of loch ness so Going into some of those like more often covered topics, I think will be a lot of fun. And uh, I've kind of leaned towards the more obscure, but there's no reason I can't do some of the more quote unquote mainstream stuff for as far as like the paranormal goes. I mean, I did King Tut's Curse. I guess that's kind of a pretty common intro to the subject there. I guess a lot of kids were interested in Egyptology back in the day. Let's get back to the topic at hand. So now we've kind of distilled the you know, mythical origin of this creature into a couple of constituent parts. So different influences from several different cultures coalescing into this one singular legend to kind of explain a variety of natural phenomena and other occurrences and provide an explanation for all that. So we've distilled that origin into a murky scotch and we're kind of mulling it around with an orange peel So let's chat about what the fuck we're actually dealing with here. Cue the Animal Planet most extreme breakdown music. I don't know, Jamie, can we do that? Do we have that? Is that legal? Probably not. I'm thinking it's probably not a good idea to use copyrighted music on the show, so we're going to try it. That's why I've kind of been remixing stuff by, like, turning down the gain and just adding a little bit of wub-wub, so... Acapella is going to have to do. So the Nuklevi clocks in at about the size of a horse, which, honestly, it varies a lot from a large dog to a fucking tank. Like, look up Brooklyn Supreme. I'll try and post a picture of him in the show notes. But he was the world's largest horse in 1948, and this was kind of a sidetrack into my research into the into these big record-breaking horses and they look freakish like if you watch the super bowl you've seen the budweiser clydesdales and everything and they're big ass horse like you would not want to get stepped on by one of those guys but brooklyn supreme is like twice the size of one of those things it is like a person gets up to not even his shoulder it's It's pretty fucking ridiculous. And then you have these things like Shetland ponies or like pygmy horses or whatever. I don't know. I'm not an ornithologist. But there's all kinds of different... So basically what I'm saying is that a uh, something the size of a horse, if you know anything about horses beyond like a general idea of what a horse is, really doesn't narrow the size down all that much. But I'm thinking that this guy is going to be more on the bigger end of things. Maybe not quite as tall as Brooklyn Supreme was, but but I'm thinking at least Budweiser Clydesdale size. So you've got, so yeah, picture somewhere between 
like spirit stallion of the cimarron or uh black stallion for you the uh, boomer crowd out there or that or the monstrous budweiser clydesdales i think it's somewhere in that range so like on the larger end of horses but without going into (laughs) without going into the most extreme do 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 so you've got that image in your mind right okay big ass horse got it what color is it actually you know what hold that thought we don't care about the fur do horses have fur or is it hair i think the mane and tail are hair and the rest is fur like i said i'm not a equologist i don't know equineologist i think it's called a coat i think it's called a coat but it's technically fur whatever so big ass horse right now imagine it has a rider a naked dude just like strapped up to the top of the thing he's got long arms like like an orangutan right he has a head three times the size of a normal human head and I imagine the thing's got to have a thick neck or that, or that head is going to be flopping around. And I think there's actually some descriptions where it is flopping around. So it's like a normal, normally proportioned human head, but just three times the size. So it's like Donkey Kong mode or like a, you activate a cheat code in GoldenEye or something. Okay, so so cool. We've got a big head mode guy with super long arms that can dangle down to the ground even while he's up on top of the horse. Great. Okay, got that image. Let's let's improve on it, okay? Now imagine that he's grafted to that horse without legs. So the orangutan human hybrid doesn't have legs. He is just the torso like stitched up to the back of the horse like something from the fucking cabinet of dr caligari so it's it's kind of like a centaur but a centaur is missing the front end of a horse where this still has the front end and head of a horse but it also has this monstrous humanoid torso up on top of it grafted together so it's like a whole contiguous creature all right so you got that much pretty weird image so far right got it cool let's up the ante the horse has just one eye like a fucking beholder or something it has one giant fiery glowing eye in the center of its head the man half eyes are normal according to some accounts but other accounts also have it listed as having two not man size because it's proportional so it's three times a man size because it's on a three times size head but those are also glowing fiery red in some cases in other cases it just says it has normal human eyes on top of the tor on the on the head of the torso so it's either got fiery burning sauron eyes or it's got like the prettiest baby blues you've ever seen okay okay cool so we've got that much of the image we got a big ass horse we got this weird torso stitched to the back of it like it's riding it. It's got its knuckles dragging along the ground and a big ass head. One eye on the horse full of fire and two eyes on the normal human head that may or may not be on fire. Great. Got it. Now the horse legs have fins too. So pictures fins like, I don't know, picture, you can picture what a fin looks like. Cool. For swimming. Now go back to the dude grafted onto the top with a three-foot head. I know I said three head sizes, but according to some accounts, it's even bigger than three head sizes. It's just three feet across. 
which I guess in some cases is probably just three head sizes, but either way, he's got a big ass head. The thing has a has like Tony Hawk Donkey Kong mode actives. So that's why he's got that giant head. And his nose and his mouth are fitting in orc adia. And they, in some accounts, protrude out like the snout of the hog. So they have like, they look like the uh, the doctor in that friggin' Twilight Zone episode where the beauty is in the eye of the beholder or whatever, where the, they pull off the bandages and it's a sexy lady and she's the ugliest thing all these pig people have seen. Okay, I'm getting into the weeds with that for a reference. But, um, so now picture that the human head has like a full... I just put my hand over my mouth, illustrate a pig nose, <laughs> cutting myself off from the mic. So uh, picture a pig nose, big ass tusks, kind of like an old school World of Warcraft orc. And you have that image in your mind, right? Weird giant horse, fins on the leg, jacked, Ronnie Coleman, orangutan, torso on top, topped with a fucking orc bobblehead. Scary, right? Right. One last little, eh, one little fiddly detail. It doesn't have any fucking skin. The whole thing is hairless and skinless and covered in pure blood red pulsing muscle. Huge yellow veins circulate a fiery glowing black blood through the creature's massive bulk, pulsing independently from two hearts. That might be one of the scariest images I have ever had in my head. Holy moly. So you have this gigantic horse orangutan ass torso up on top of it the whole thing doesn't have any skin and you can just see the like sinewy dripping mass with the blood flowing through it it must be prone to infection but i guess it lives in the ocean so maybe the salt water helps like cure the muscles so that it's not maybe that's getting a little too scientific with it but all right are you bought in yet we've got this horse monster skinless horse monster bodybuilder glowing eye all those descriptors and i'll post some artist renditions of it in the show notes as well but like i think any image you come up with in your head is going to be scarier if not as scary as any of the pictures i could possibly show you so i i know it's not really the horror movie kosher to reveal the monster too fast but this is radio so screw it and i'm also 28 minutes into the recording how much of that will get cut remains to be seen so that's a little behind the scenes look you can compare (laughs) compare the time and see how many times i coughed or whatever i had to cut out and that's without even saying what the thing actually even does it has a breath weapon like a dragon exhaling a blast of rotting putrid seaweed stank that can wilt crops cause disease sicken livestock and wildlife and all manner of horrific things it also brings drought not usually what you get from sea monsters but hey let's roll with it there's an eyewitness account of this creature too which is pretty interesting and I'll, I'll read a little bit of that here he was sure it was no earthly thing that was steadily coming towards him he could not go to either side i i know i'm doing this irish i'm just coming off of a saint patty's day top of the morning to you kind of thing that i've been doing so i'm just gonna roll with it it's close enough geographically don't question it he walked resolutely yet slowly forward 
He soon discovered to his horror that the gruesome creature that approached him was none other than the dreaded Nukalavee, the most cruel and malignant of all uncanny beings that trouble mankind. The lower part of this terrible monster, as seen by Tammy, was like a great horse with flappers like fins about his legs, with a mouth as wide as a whale's, from which came breath like steam from a brewing kettle. He had but one eye, and that as red as fire. On him sat, rather seemed to grow from his back, a huge man with no legs and arms that reached nearly to the ground. His head was as big as a clue of Simmons. I don't know what the fuck that means. And his huge head kept rolling from one shoulder to the other as if it meant to tumble off. So I guess he didn't actually... He? I'm assuming it's a he. Maybe that's heteronormative of me. But he, I guess, didn't have a super strong neck because the head's flopping around the whole time. But what to Tammy appeared most horrible of all was that the monster was skinless, this utter want of skin adding much to the terrific appearance of the creature's naked body, the whole surface of it showing only red, raw flesh in which Tammy saw blood, black as tar running through yellow veins, and a great white sinews thick as horse tethers, twisting, stretching, and contracting as the monster moved. Tammy went slowly on in, in mortal terror, his hair on end, a cold sensation like film of ice between his scalp and his skull, and cold sweat bursting from every pore. And it goes on and on and on, but I'm not, I'm not going to read you the whole article. But later on, the mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. I, I'm switching from, like, fake Scottish to Irish to just, like, Quint from Jaws at this point. Mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. Tammy found its hot breath like fire on his face. Oh, to go swimming with bow-legged women. Basically, you're going to need a bigger boat to deal with this beast. The long arms were stretched out to seize the unhappy man to avoid, if possible, the monster's clutch. Tammy swerved as near as he could to the lock. In doing so, one of his feet went into the lock. Two feet go into the lock. Three feet come out. Splashing up some water on the foreleg of the monster, where the horse gave a snort like thunder. <laughs> and shied over the side of the road, and Tammy felt the wind of the knuckle of his clutches as he narrowly escaped the monster's grip. So Tammy had a pretty good run-in with this creature, and this comes from uh, um, like an ancient... Not ancient, but like a, a collection of Scottish folklore that kind of took all these oral tales that people had been telling and putting them to print. And you see this a lot in um, United Kingdom, British, Celtic, Viking folklore. You have these these historians that go around and try and record all this oral tradition and preserve it for future generations. So pretty fucking scary. Uh, how do you even fight it, though? If it's like this giant horse monster with grabbers and poison breath and all that, it seems like a pretty insurmountable foe. But pretty much all that people could do to fight the Knuckle of E and its influence was burning seaweed, which, by all accounts I could find, really just pissed it off and made it more likely to attack somewhere else. Like, it would get super angry and then, you know, leave the place alone, but it's not like it stopped it from attacking. It was just like... Fuck this seaweed, we're going somewhere else and we're hitting somewhere else twice as hard. So that's why you would see these people like burn the seaweed and then somewhere else would get hit with like this ridiculous storm or something like that. But interestingly enough, this seaweed burning not only produced a putrid smell, but being super basic, 
in in the sense of pH and acidity. I've had this mic turned slightly away from me the whole time because I tried to adjust it earlier. I hope that sounds better and I'm not recording the rest of the episode. So it's super basic in a pH sense. It's alkaline, which could over time kind of fix the environmental issues of a super acidic soil, whether that be from acid rain or from, you know, some other encroachment of acidic seawater or brackish water or something, or literally just the mythological breath, poison breath of the knuckle of E itself. Um, And there's kind of a lot of things like that in folklore, which I think is super cool. Obviously, myths like this tell people to stay out of the water when they're alone, but as a way to fix the soil like this, where people have Nuklevi encounter or whatever, and then their crops don't grow, it could be some hallucination or swamp gas or whatever that makes them, you know, believe they saw a creature, but also could literally poison their soil and ruin all their crops. But burning seaweed to keep a monster away can actually solve the problem. So it, it's kind of cool seeing how these folkloric solutions to literal monster problems could have lasting real world impact and yeah it's it's kind of funny you see a lot of this and like i was talking about earlier where you see it as a natural explanation for unexplained phenomena if there's an earthquake or something that's demons going to tuna town or great tortoise island steps out of the water and stomps around on the other side of the flat earth and does whatever but some of these things actually have practical applications and i think that that's cool as hell and it's it's a way of understanding the world around us in much the same way as science is to modern society and a lot of what we think now about the world is going to sound completely insane or fairy tale like quite frankly and a hundred years down the line or so. So I, I think it's super cool. Another way to fight it is this uh, Scottish water demon was weak to water. So that's kind of uh, not a great design choice there, but uh, whatever. It's only weak to fresh water though. And so the fiery eye indicated it was a fire type Pokemon, <laughs> but this is actually a pretty common trope in all kinds of folklore, hoax or not. Vampires in some legends and cultures can't cross what running water can't cross fresh water and that's the that's what the 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 rub is here it it can't cross fresh water interestingly enough if it if a storm occurs you're pretty basically safe in the knuckle of e because it can't stand the fresh water or if it's like chasing after you you jump across a little stream and can't follow you and it's the same thing with vampires in a lot of folklore and, and you see this in a lot of other um myths and legends throughout human history you see this kind of reoccurring theme of fresh water running water stopping stuff um if we're going back to the lord of the rings example like we have several times in this episode you have horse shaped river knock the nazgul's off their horses and stuff like that but basically if there's some kind of flippered poison breathing giant galloping monstrosity chasing you that appears like it can swim very well it sounds like the worst advice ever but try to cross a river try and swim across a river where the swimming sea monster is not likely to attack and again this might be another one of those things where it has a it's like a folklore thing that has a practical application 
because there's all kinds of like scary shit in the oceans that won't follow into freshwater. I mean, you got like bull sharks and stuff in the um, or tiger sharks, bull sharks or whatever in the brackish water in the Everglades or whatever. But most of the time, stuff is not going to want to change what salinity it's in. Especially if it's tracking you down. But if it's if it's hungry enough, I think it'll eat you either way. And the last way that the Nukla V gets fought is the Mithra of the Sea. Which is another kind of legendary... I don't know, it's less of a creature and more of a goddess, in from what I can tell. The Mither of the Sea. It keeps the Nukla V contained in the ocean most of the time, and that's another bit of Orcadian folklore. A sea mother, Mither, as far as I can say, is just a dumb way to say mother. Not dumb, just different, right? We're sensitive to all cultures here. The Mother of the... Mither... The Mither of the Sea fights uh with her rival Terran to stave off winter during the summer and she leaves him on the bottom of the ocean for a few months until she gets weak and comes up and he makes winter so this Terran fella is uh like some land spirit that also makes snow and snowstorms so you see this also a lot of the time in folklore where you have classic twin rivalry the sun fights the moon every morning and wins and the moon fights the sun after the sun's been up all day and is tired or you got your he's mr heat miser he's mr snow miser he's mr whatever you know what i mean it's got that kind of hallmark of a mythological rival creatures fighting to explain some sort of natural phenomena very grout on kyogre Zeus and Hades, alien versus predator setup. No matter who wins, we lose. The thing of the Mither of the Sea is while she's busy with Terran, she has trouble controlling Nukla V, and while she's tr- controlling the Nukla V, she has a lot of trouble controlling Terran. So it's like a whole thing where the Nukla V shows up mostly in the spring and summer and destroys all your crops because obviously the crops aren't growing in the winter anyway. But you can, you can imagine trying to hold off this, like, snow miser, land, Groudon god, and also this horse demon creature, and hold them hold both of their heads underwater for, I don't know, six months at a time. It's not easy, so cut her some slack. As far as the lasting impact of the Nukla V, I mean, mostly the art. This thing is creepy as hell. Um... I was talking to a coworker about this, and uh, she was telling me that it showed up in some anime, which is kind of cool. So maybe it's not as obscure as I thought it was. I'm not being hipster enough with my creatures. But I also talked about how I kind of want to do less hipstery stuff, too. But I think it's it's cool how these legends persist and how they exist in a modern age. We're not literally scared of the Nukla V today like people were back in the 1400s and you know maybe some very traditional folks in the orkney islands are scared of running into the nukla v every day but i i don't think that generally it's a huge concern but it it is neat how these things carry on and i think it what all these historians were doing when they captured all these old folklore stories and wrote them down and 
it's cool to think about how much got preserved, but it's also sad to think about how much got lost. All these tales that got passed down from my grandmother saw this three-horned thing that ended up being a triceratops and she told me about it but i never told anybody else about it like how many cases of something like that or like my my uncle he was a bit of a drinker but uh he saw this winged humanoid that would you know sideswipe his car every day and i just chalked it up to him being shit-faced it's cool that the stuff that does get passed down and i think i think more of that should get passed down and that's kind of a little bit of what i see myself doing here on the show is is continuing that oral tradition and i'm i'm happy to do it so if you've got like a weird experience that you think the world should hear about but you don't want to tell people because they'll think you're crazy or throw you in a loony bin or whatever shoot me an email and i'll talk about it anonymously i'm (laughs) already i'm already a lunatic so it can't go get any worse from here And it's neat how these creatures of the night and creatures of the deep can have a real-life impact on the world, whether they're real or not. I mean, people drown, people go missing in the night, go missing in the sea, maybe they got eaten by this horse creature, maybe they got hit by a rogue wave. It's hard to say. It's usually not, but sometimes it is. Who knows? Props wilt sometimes unexpectedly sometimes you can't find the reason like we have stuff at work that is trying to figure out why a certain test isn't working right for whatever reason and it's just like you know we try everything and it's it's probably demons (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and say that but i don't think that the uh the regulating bodies of the government will accept that as an answer so people drown crops weld weird stuff happens with technology with your work with your daily commute or whatever and some of it is unexplainable some of it is explainable with science and some of it is explainable with stuff that generally falls outside of accepted science and one thing about science is that it's a it's a tool we can use to understand the world around us it's not infallible and it's not absolute so I think that there's there's a place for these myths and legends over the course of history and even the over the course of today. I mean, if you tell your kid that he's going to get ripped to pieces by a skinless horse orangutan, maybe he won't go to the river on his own and drown. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think people over the last several hundred years would probably agree with me on that. Sometimes people go missing without explanation and get some kind of answer like oh you know it's just a just a suicide or just they walked into the woods and never came out and but then you have shit like oh we found the body in a place that we searched 50 times over the last two weeks and uh all the clothes were pulled inside out and neatly folded next to it and there's no sign of trauma on the body and he this three-year-old grew a full beard and two weeks of being dead like there is some really really strange missing persons cases and i'm getting like pretty deep into like david polite's missing 411 stuff here and that's that's definitely for another show even the stuff that isn't quite as strictly real like the enfield horror for example where there's all these veridical 
um, sightings of it, stuff like this still has a place in today's society. And I'm, I'm glad that you're along to listen to me ramble about it and hopefully it made you have a new perspective on that kind of thing and if it didn't at least you get to hear a fun story about a horse skin monster you know people drown crops wilt and giant centaur demons attack and sometimes it's normal and sometimes it's not so happy to have you along with us for another great episode of nightmare now i can't believe it's been over a year now since I started the show. Like I talked about my new schedule at work. Basically what that boils down to is me trying to get in early, to leave early, for pretty much the sole purpose of trying to get more work done on the show. But in this transitional period on top of daylight savings time and on top of my mic breaking, um, yeah, I, I come home and then I just basically fall asleep. So I'm, I'm slowly pushing that back and slowly fighting off the the sleepiness that comes with it because I, I i all my life i've kind of been a night owl so making that sort of transition is a little difficult for me but um we're gonna work on it i've got some great collab shows coming down the pipe we've got some guest spots coming up yeah i would i'd love to hear from people on all the socials or the email or whatever you can find all that stuff at nightmarenow.com along with all the other episodes yeah, I'm just happy to be back in the saddle again. I'm continuously trying to improve my consistency with releases. And I know that there's a million shows out there that have more strenuous work schedules than I do or what have you. But uh, I think we'll get there someday. In the end, it's, a, it's an outlet for me too. And I'm happy to do it. I love having you guys listen. I love having everybody along for the ride. And I love sharing all this cool stuff with you. So until next week, hopefully, <laughs> um, I'd say sweet dreams. We all know it's only going to be nightmares now. Full of horse people.